Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Before we get to that, that this episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston where your first MLB bet gets you 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to $200. And also, Athletic Greens, a special blend of 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Now, I've been waiting, anticipating, frothing at the mouth to talk about DeAndre Hopkins, but before we get to DeHop and the decision that was made by Bill Belichick, because don't get it twisted, it was absolutely a decision made by Bill Belichick, we got to talk about somebody else because we have some news this morning. Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network, Greg, says that our friend, old buddy, Leonard Fournette, who uh, once upon a time tried out for the Patriots, worked out for the Patriots, never signed, obviously, with the Patriots. But uh, playoff Lenny, Lombardi Lenny, was back in the building today trying out, working out. Your thoughts on that story? Yeah, I think this is uh, right in line with what I thought they would do. Um you know, a lot of people are talking about Dalvin Cook and especially after Hopkins, maybe his money can go to Dalvin Cook. And as we've talked about here on the podcast, Nick, I just I just think that's been a pipe dream. It's just it doesn't it doesn't align with what the Patriots do. Now, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. It's just what they do, you know, in terms of Dalvin Cook, like DeAndre Hopkins, is a guy who is looking to get paid like he is not going to come here for you know two million dollars plus incentives that's just not who he is that's not where where he is in his career and as we've heard the conversation this week about uh, running backs being devalued you know these guys have to grab every last dollar that they can while they can and so you know while I think Dalvin Cook makes a ton of sense football wise for this offense and could give them another avenue to move the ball and certainly would be a um you know an additional or maybe one of the only sort of you know blue chipish talents on the offensive side of the ball um you know with Ramondre Stevenson being the starter and making less than a million dollars a year and the Patriots can't do anything about that you know Dalvin Cook is looking somewhere to make you know upwards of like $9 million a year. They can't bring in Dalvin Cook to be the backup at $7 million plus incentives. And it just, it it doesn't work from Bill Belichick's perspective. And I tend to agree with that. So I've always thought that the Patriots at some point, uh, considering that it was James Robinson who didn't work out, he, you know, once they made the decision on Damian Harris, you thought it was logical that they would get a veteran running back or at least an experienced running back at lower cost uh, to hopefully take over for Damian Harris. They had James Robinson in during the offseason. It didn't work out. They released him. There is now an opening in that spot, at least to take a look at through the end of training camp, you know, before 53-man cutdown. Maybe by that time, Kevin Harris pops and, and he's the backup. But they always go in with a veteran backup. And so it was always more likely, not Dalvin Cook, but it was more likely that they would go Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt, uh, McKissick is out there, Rex Burkhead is out there. 
<laughs> it was always more likely that the Patriots would sign somebody like that for a couple million dollars plus incentives. Like, you know, should Ramondre Stevenson get hurt or something like that, suddenly this guy becomes the bulk running back. There's a way for them to get compensated for, for that. So, uh, you know, I considering they already kicked the tires on Leonard Fournette about a year ago, I think it was, or two years ago, um, there's obviously the Patriots obviously like Fournette as a player. Um, I think the Patriots were used sort of as a stalking horse last time to get the Bucs to re-up and up their offer, which they did. He went back to the Bucs. Now the Bucs have no interest. They're in a different place. They're rebuilding. So, uh, you know, I think the chances are probably pretty good that if that Fournette is here, and if it's not Fournette, I'm sure Kareem Hunt's going to be the next guy in. And whoever takes the offer from the Patriots, I assume they're going to be the veteran backup uh, heading into training camp. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Ty Montgomery is not going to be that backup running back. We know if, if he's on this team, which likely he's on this team, it's going to be in that receiving role, third down back role that he had going into last season. So, yeah, the Patriots needed to add a vet running back. So it makes all the sense in the world. As you mentioned, they've already looked at this guy a year ago, two years ago. So, you know, they have interest. They like his skill set. They believe he can bring something to the table. And I've mentioned this the past few pods. I love Ramondre Stevenson, and I find it a joke that the Madden rating system doesn't have Stevenson as a top 20 running back in the league. That's hilarious to me. But put that aside, the question that I do have about Stevenson is whether or not he can be the bell cow for 17 games. Last year, he ran out of gas with a few games left. So if this means you give somebody else like Lenny, you know, five to eight carries a game, to try to conserve Ramondre for later in the season so he can contain, you know, that that explosiveness within through 17 games. And it makes all the sense in the world. And I'm with you. I would not be surprised if the Patriots bring in Fournette. And if it's not Fournette, it's going to be another veteran back to to help the mix out because I don't think you can walk in just believing Pierre Strong or Harris is going to be that next guy up. They've got to prove it and let them compete in camp. And if they beat the Tukas of Fournette or somebody else, then that's great news for the Patriots because they now have a, a young running back too. All right, let's jump to the story, obviously, as I mentioned. On Sunday, this happened. DeAndre Hopkins, shout out to Doug Kide, uh, who broke this news. He beat Adam Schefter. He beat uh, Ian Rappaport. He beat pretty much everybody. So shout out to the to the local reporter getting this, this news. But DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a Tennessee Titan. It's a two-year deal. 26 million is looking like the base. There's incentives that can get that up to 15, 16 million. Greg, first question for you on this is where did this go wrong? Well, I just think it went wrong where, you know, the Patriots um, and Bill Belichick specifically, um, you know, have a certain value on players and um, they obviously didn't give DeAndre Hopkins what he thought he was worth. And the Titans had the better offer at the end of the day. I mean, you know, when we talked about all this, um, you know, from covering DeAndre Hopkins over his career, you know, he's a different cat. This is not a guy, I don't care what he said on a podcast about what he was looking for, like stability and a hardworking quarterback and all that <laughs> bull crap. Like, that's just not who he is. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he was going to go with the best offer at the end of the day. And the chances of that being the Patriots and specifically Bill Belichick for the offensive side of the ball uh, were not good. Um, you know, the the only hope in my mind that 
that the Patriots would have been the top bidder for DeAndre Hopkins was if Robert Kraft stepped in and said, we need to do this for the offense. Offer him, you know, match this or, you know, go over, just give him what he wants because we need this. And that evidently didn't happen. And so, you know, here are the Patriots with, um, you know, a very, very narrow path to victory on offense. I mean, do they have enough players? Yes. Um, you know, could it, it, but everything has to go right. The tackles yeah. have to work out. The wide receivers all have to stay healthy and play well. The tight ends have to stay healthy and play well. Stevenson has to stay healthy and play well and not run out of gas. Mac Jones, you know, has to play really well in the first year with Billy O'Brien. I mean, you know, do do I think a lot of things have changed in terms of like how I see them as a team this year? No. And I don't think they would have changed a whole lot if Hopkins was here. Uh, maybe I would have been a game more optimistic, maybe. Um, but it just, to me, it was a missed opportunity for the Patriots to give themselves more of a margin for error on offense. And I think it was a mistake. I think they should have done it. I don't think it was that much money. I thought it was the market price. It's not your money. It's it's Robert Kraft's money. He's got plenty of it. The, you know, it wouldn't have hurt the cap that much. There's ways to mitigate that. I just thought it was a layup for the Patriots considering he's been in this offense before. He's been with Bill O'Brien before. He's been a three-time All-Pro in this offense. You talk about wide receivers who have trouble coming here and getting the system. The the offensive coordinator and the receiver know each other. They know it works. And so to me, this was a layup to, to improve the Patriots, give themselves a better chance, and I thought they fumbled the ball. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for days to just drop the hammer. And I'm not the guy who just drops the hammer to drop the hammer, right? A la some people in Boston on radio. We know who they are. Shout out to them because uh, they've been very successful at what they do. So uh, I've been waiting for this. You can't tell me. You can't tell me in any world that this is not a fail by Bill Belichick. It is 100% surefire, no doubt about it, a fail by Belichick. Let's first look at the contract because I, I, I've had some pushback on Twitter, shocker by some Patriots fans who are trying to justify this decision by doing a lot of mental gymnastics. So let's break this down. First of all, let's look at the deal, Greg, okay? The contract. This was an incredibly reasonable, fair deal. This was market value. If you look at average annual value at the wide receiver position, with this contract, D-Hop is going to slot in at 23rd in the NFL. He's the 23rd highest paid receiver in the league. You can't tell me that DeAndre Hopkins is not good enough to be paid in the top 20, let alone 25 at that position in the league. Number 23. The Patriots, as we know, are bottom of the league in cash spent. We can sit there and play salary cap games all we want. The numbers are the numbers. I believe Andrew Callahan tweeted it out a few days ago. You can check it out. They're at the bottom of the league. So here's some of the pushback that I'm that I'm seeing on Twitter and I'm sure has been said on the airwaves the last few days because I'm, I'm yet to be in Boston. I will be there shortly and I can't wait. Oh, he's breaking down. I got that. He's breaking down, Nick. He, he's He's old. He's washed. Number one. Six of the eight games that Hopkins missed last year was due to suspension. Now, maybe he gets suspended again, but I would deem that unlikely since he hasn't had that happen to him before. So six of the eight games that he missed last year was not due to injury. It was not due to him breaking down. It was due to a suspension from the league. Then you go back to 2021. I think he missed seven games in 2021. 
It was a hamstring issue for a few games. He tried to play through it, and then he tore his MCL. Okay? I will give you 2021. Yes, he had injuries in 2021, like the vast majority of NFL players get at some point in their career. But this is a guy, I keep hearing about the practices, which I have more ammo for as well, but I keep hearing about how this guy doesn't practice. He doesn't want to practice. You know what he does, though? He plays on Sunday. He plays in the first eight years of his career. You know how many games this guy missed? In his first eight years in the league, he missed two games. Dose. One, two. Two games missed in his first eight years. He played every week in his first eight years, and he did nothing but produce throughout those eight years. Oh, but Nick, but Nick, he's he's washed. He's not that same guy. Okay, let's play a game. Last year, 2022, a lot of people love themselves, Jacoby Myers, and I enjoy Jacoby Myers. I do. I think he's a good mm-hmm. football player. A lot of Patriots fans wanted Myers to stay in New England, okay? Let's compare the stats of D-Hop and Myers from just last year. I remind you that Hopkins played nine games while Myers played 14. Did you know that Hopkins had only three less catches than Myers did last year in five less games? Hopkins had 717 yards. Myers had 804 yards. Myers had six touchdowns. D-Hop had three touchdowns. So the guy who's breaking down was pretty much exactly what Jacoby Myers was a year ago. Somebody that Patriots fans love and praise and wanted to give the bag to would have no issue paying that guy 11, 12 million guaranteed. But you're looking at D hop and in five less games, he gave you pretty much the same exact production that Myers gave the Patriots. And you're telling me this guy is washed. He might end up being washed, but there's zero evidence at this point in time on July 19, 2023, 1033 Pacific time that this dude is washed. Zero evidence of that. And if you want to go back and forth and fight about the deal, Greg and I talk about this all the time, the comps, the market value. It takes one team. That's all it takes. I saw some people say, yeah, but Nick, 31 other teams didn't want to pay Hopkins that contract. Well, number one, 31 other teams are not in the situation the Patriots are in. How many teams across the NFL have a legitimate, bona fide, number one wide receiver? I'll get to that in a minute because there's many. But let's just look at Odell Beckham Jr. Let's just play the game, Greg. Odell Beckham Jr. got $15 million guaranteed from the Ravens. That's a guy who has 67 catches combined in 2020 and 2021. OBJ had three more catches the last two years he's played combined than D-Hop had last year. Oh, and he missed last year, OBJ, with a torn ACL. And that dude got $15 million guaranteed. You can't tell me in any kind of way with any angle that this D-Hop deal was out of control And it was unfair. This was a fair deal. It comes down to this. Bill Belichick didn't want to pay it. He cheaped out. And let's just call it like it is. Let's embrace that, everybody. It's the Belichick system, which we'll get into in a minute. But you can't sit here and tell me that the contract that Hopkins signed was unfair based on his history, based on his recent productivity, and based on the comparison of OBJ, who just got more money guaranteed than this guy did. And OBJ's played a lot less than he's played over the last couple of years. The deal is fair. And for people telling me he doesn't want to practice, you know what's funny, Greg? People arguing about D-Hop. He's he's older. He doesn't practice a ton. It's funny how the guy from the outside who has a high ceiling and is considered one of the best receivers in football the last decade, it's funny how people will disparage him and take shots at him for not practicing, not being healthy all the time. But yet it's fine. 
it's fine when when the Patriots are giving money to the Nelson Aguilars of the world. They're giving money to Devontae Parker. They're giving money to everybody else. Are you telling me that any receiver on this roster right now is more dependable than DeAndre Hopkins? Do you think Juju is more dependable than Hopkins? Devontae Parker more dependable? Tyquan Thornton more dependable? Kendrick Bourne more dependable? Are you telling me any of those guys are more dependable than Hopkins? Don't come to me with this noise about how he's not dependable, he won't practice, he's washed, blah 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 Fact. DeAndre Hopkins, if he signed with the Patriots, would be the best receiver on this football team day one. Fact. Fact. Admit it. Admit it. It's okay if you admit things. It's fine. You'll survive it. You can actually disagree with Bill Belichick from time to time. It's okay. You won't be struck by lightning. You'll wake up tomorrow morning. Everything will be fine. I have a lot more, but any reaction to what I just said? Uh, yeah. Uh, the the only thing, uh, you know, before we we take a break and then talk more about big picture stuff. I don't want to take breaks. <laughs> oh, Nikki's in rare form today. I love it. Uh, so I was just going to say, like, you know, the thing that stood out to me is like, you know, if if the Patriots just would have, um if they just would have chosen DeAndre Hopkins and just got rid of Devonte Parker, like what, what, why has DeAndre, uh, why has Devonte Parker earned anything around here? Why has he earned any guaranteed money? He's had one healthy season, one really good season in his career. Uh, he can't stay on the, the only thing consistent about his career is he can't stay on the field, which, you know, is, is ironic considering the criticisms about DeAndre Hopkins and his practice habits, even though the dude is just a gamer and he's out there all the time. And I mean, his numbers last year, I mean, like you said, you know, in, in nine games, uh, 64 catches in that crap bag of an offense without <laughs> Kyler Murray. I mean, that, that's like an all pro season that should be celebrated, but you know, just all you had to do was to, if you're worried about the money, which you shouldn't be because it's not yours, it's Robert Kraft's money. He's got plenty of it. Like, if the Patriots just would have released Devontae Parker or traded him for a six-round pick, seventh-round pick, they immediately would have recouped his $6 million and put that to DeAndre Hopkins. So Hopkins really would have cost about $9 million, yep. you know, additional to what they were doing. And DeAndre Hopkins is a way better receiver than Devontae Parker. He, he, he demands much more respect. He is much more consistent. He has much more potential. And so it, it just that kind of stuff just puzzles me, Nick, about this whole discussion about this. You know, because, but we know if the Patriots would have won the services for DeAndre Hopkins, Patriots fans would have been going nuts and about, you know, and, and defending him to the tilt and yep. about how, you know, he's not old and, you know, he just conserves himself. He doesn't practice because he wants to conserve himself and he's really good in the games. And you're absolutely right. The bottom line is this. DeAndre Hopkins would be the best receiver on this team. You put DeAndre Hopkins with a healthy Juju Smith-Schuster with these two tight ends, and plus you mix in Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton and maybe a little bit of Marcus Jones. You know, now you're talking about an offense that has some potential, that, ha that there's a fear factor involved that you're like, all right, you know, these guys can move the ball. These guys can be pretty good. And now – they're just left with the same old, same old, which, you know, as we'll talk about after the break, is uh, par for the course around here. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about Mac Jones and, and, and what this does to him. And 
and some of the things that has bugged me about the idea of not signing Hopkins uh, in, in relation to the quarterback. I'll get to that in a minute. We have a lot more to talk about here, trust me. But first, Greg will tell you about FanDuel. All right, before we get to the Belichick side of this, because, Greg, I'll tell you, I read your article from a couple of days ago. I loved it. I was talking to my buddy Jim Louth the other day on the phone, uh, and I was telling Jim, like, you got to read this. Greg knocked it out of the park. I thought it was great work. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I just I just want to emphasize something here, and I, I think this is part of a bigger conversation you and I will have about this roster. But another thing that drives me flipping nuts about just not wanting to sign DeAndre Hopkins when you look around the NFL, look at what every other team does with a young quarterback. When you have a young quarterback on his rookie deal, that gives you a bunch of leeway and wiggle room to pay for guys on the offensive side to make that quarterback better quicker. And, yeah, the Patriots signed John O. Smith and Hunter Henry a couple of years ago. As we know, that was before Mac, but they, they, they put the money into the tight end position. It's because they failed to draft guys. Devin Asiasi flamed out. Uh, uh, Dalton Keene, I don't know. Did he even touch the field in the regular season? I, I don't even remember if he, if he played a snap in his Patriots career in the regular season or at any point in a season, preseason. Look at what every other team has done, okay? Quarterback on a rookie deal. And you decided not to supply Mac Jones with a legitimate wide receiver one. That's the argument. The argument is not if they added good players around Mac. The argument is, did you give Mac that bona fide stud at a position that he can lean on? Let's just go through it quickly. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. Tua Tunga Bailoa all of a sudden started to be a, a star, quote-unquote, to some people last year. I wonder why that was. Maybe because they added Tyreek Hill and drafted Jalen Waddell. How about Josh Allen? He wasn't Josh Allen until Stephon Diggs got to town. A guy like mm -hmm. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant in San Francisco this last year, helped get them to the NFC Championship game because he had Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Run CMC, and George Kittle. Upper echelon talent. Jalen Hurts was a guy who the Eagles actually wanted to get rid of, and they wanted to bring Russell Wilson in. Instead, they add A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden, along with Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts looks like an absolute beast last year. Dak Prescott, what did Dallas do? They went out, they got C.D. Lamb. Every, Justin Herbert, go through all the young quarterbacks, and every single one of them gets a bona fide, legitimate, number one wide receiver. Not a guy with ifs, if he stays healthy, if he does this, if he... They go out and they get a dude. And the Patriots have not done that for Mac Jones. They drafted a guy, Greg. You and I have talked about this. We don't think Mac's going to be a top 8 to 10 quarterback in the league. We think he's right around the middle of the pack. 12, 13, 14, whatever you want to say. Does not matter if he's the 11th quarterback or the 15th quarterback? What are we doing here? He's somewhere in that range. When you draft a guy like that, Kind of like Kirk Cousins, who, by the way, who has who? Oh, Justin Jefferson. And then they just drafted Addison in, in, the, in the last draft here. When you draft a guy like Mac, who is not somebody who's going to say, jump on my back, fellas, and I'm going to rip the football for 45 touchdowns this year. You drafted a guy who needs good to very good talent around him to get the most out of him, including the offensive line. And what you've done 
is you've surrounded him with a bunch of good pieces who are not dependable, who to a man have proven to be completely unhealthy, and you've given him two offensive tackles. One, hopefully, has walked away from the dinner table and has lost some weight at left tackle before we get to our training camp here in a week. And then you went out and brought in a, a, a mid-30s right tackle in Riley Reef, who actually, yes, he might be washed. The people that are worried about DeAndre Hopkins being washed, I hope you're really worried about Riley Reef being washed. So you got a left tackle who's had one good year in his career. One good year. For all intents and purposes, Trent Brown's had one good year. You've got a mid-30s right tackle. You've got Calvin Anderson, who Greg's said a couple of weeks ago he's watched films, been a turnstile. And you've got the roll call of receivers. None of them. None of them, unless you're drinking the Belichick Kool-Aid, none of them do you feel confident or optimistic about walking into this season after the recent history and even the far-reaching history. It is a failure, a failure to recognize what kind of quarterback you have and how to get the most out of that guy. And that's troubling to me. I would disagree if I could, Nick. Just drives me nuts. All right, let's get to the Belichick stuff. I know you've, uh, again, you've done some great work, bostonsportsjournal.com. You can check it out at BSJ. Uh, Greg wrote a, a long column. According to my internet, it told me it was a nine-minute read. It's a little bit longer oh, than wow. usual. Greg had a lot of words to share. And mm-hmm. uh, it's about Belichick and, and how he how he builds his roster and how he sees things. So, Greg, what's it say about uh, Belichick that he decided not to sign DeAndre Hopkins? Yeah, first of all, um, you know, as evidenced by the uh, column, this has been on my mind for a while. I was um, waiting to write it. Um, I was basically waiting until, you know, see what they would with DeAndre Hopkins. If they, if they got DeAndre Hopkins, then, you know, I would have changed my thinking, but um, this has been percolating for a while. And look, I just want to make this clear. This column um, questioning Bill Belichick's, um, roster building methods, specifically shortchanging the offense, like always, every year. It, it was not about DeAndre, not getting DeAndre Hopkins. That's not what it was about. It, the, it was just, that was sort of the final straw. Right. I mean, as we've talked about in this whole offseason, I mean, you know, when, when you talked about team needs on this team, you know, cornerback was certainly up there. So Christian Gonzalez, the first round pick, I don't have a problem with that. But we also talked about, they didn't. They don't have any offensive tackles. They have no. They have nothing in the pipeline in offensive tackle going forward. And also tight end. They don't have any tight ends signed beyond this season. And uh, and, and you know, wide receiver was the same way until they re-upped D- uh, Devontae Parker. Um, you know, they Kendrick Bourne was is a free agent. Devontae Parker was going to be a free agent. Um, you know, so there was just a a bunch of things. And then Hopkins was sort of the final straw. And, you know, it's basically my criticism is just like, Bill doesn't care about offense. He just, he doesn't invest in offense at all. He never signs big money players from the outside. Um, You know, it, when, when they had an opening after Rob Gronkowski quote unquote retired, 
Did they go out and get the best free agent on the market? No, they middled around a tight end for like two years with like Ryan Izzo and other guys, you know, before the, the keen Aussie Aussie stuff. Um, you know, when Julian Edelman was breaking down, did they have anything ready? Did they invest in that? No, they've never invested at outside receiver. Um, and, but, you know, compare that to what they do on defense. With defense, they always go out and get what they need. Like, and I'm not talking about, because, you know, of course, I'll hear from Patriots fans. who will be like, what about Antonio Brown? Like, signing a guy two days before the start of the season is not, is not addressing the offense. It's, it's, it's symptomatic of the problem that you spent all offseason jerking around on offense with crappy receivers. I remember that offseason. That was when I think they were in Detroit, and I'm looking at these guys, and it's just like, you know, all these horrible receivers, all these horrible tight ends. Like, this is what they're surrounding Tom with going into his final season. And it just became so apparent by the end that, you know, Antonio Brown, because he got himself fired in Oakland, in Vegas, uh, you know, suddenly become became available. So they pounced on him at the last second for $10 million, did no background on him. Like, you're trying to tell me that's indicative Bill Belichick investing in the offense? That's a joke. You know, it's what he always does. He always throws it half-ass at the end with offense, where he never does that on defense. You know, he always shops blue label, top shelf, first day of free agency, Adelius Thomas, Darrell Revis, who is basically the DeAndre Hopkins of cornerbacks. I mean, probably a little bit better, but similar situation. Guess what? Revis got what he was worth, and they gave it to him, and they won a Super Bowl. When it comes to offense, same situation, Bill doesn't do it. He cheaps out. Uh, when they needed a cornerback, when Malcolm Butler wouldn't take their contract, did they cheap out, you know, nope. and, and sign some middling guy? No, nope. they went out and got St Stephon Gilmore, top of the market, first day, first minute of free agency. When they needed an edge rusher, when their draft picks didn't work out. Did they middle along with Chase Winovich and these guys and say, like, all right, we just got to make do with this? No, they went out and they got Matthew Judon in the first minute of free agency. Like, he never does that on offense. He had he had openings at, at tackle, tight end in the future, wide receivers, and he just doesn't do anything about it. And, like, I understand that, that it worked for the Patriots way back when, okay, and when they had Tom Brady. But it's a different time. It's a different salary cap league. It's a different uh, offensive-minded league. It's just changed, and Bill hasn't changed. And the thing is, is like he's so brilliant coaching defense that he can get away with less. I mean, even look at this year's draft. Yes, right. Gonzalez was a need pick. Like, but in the second and third round, they could have drafted a tackle. They could have drafted a tight end to make sure that they were okay there, gotten, gotten an explosive tight end like uh, the Bills did. They could have gotten a developmental tackle like the Jets did, and they didn't do that. Instead, he picks a, he picks a depth, he, he selects depth guys at defensive end and safety where they already have guys. And look, I think Mapu's going to be a star, so great for them. But like, you couldn't have sprinkled in one pick for the offense there to say, all right, I'm going to take care of the offense. I mean, it's a joke. And, like, I'm sorry, but if this doesn't work out, 
If Bill's shortchanging Mac Jones and the offense again, and this went back to Brady, it's not about Mac Jones, and I'm, I don't subscribe to this thing where he's trying to sabotage Mac Jones or any of this stuff. But if this works out again, where the Patriots can't score enough points to win games and fail to make the postseason, I'm sorry. This is one of those final straws that Robert Kraft looks at it and says, I gave you chances. It's now five years post Brady. We haven't won a playoff game. You still don't get it with the offense. We're completely opposite than the rest of the NFL, and it's not working, Bill. And if he's not going to change, which he's not going to change, then I do think they need to consider uh, they need to consider changes. And whether that's taking away pro personnel control from Bill or Bill being gone outright, forcing him into retirement or whatever, like, you know, I'm sorry, this is the same old, same old with the Patriots. All the evidence that we have tells us it's not going to work. If it doesn't work, I think that I think that Bill's feet need to be held to the fire. I know Paul Perillo said on NBC Sports Boston over the last 24, 36 hours that he thinks it would have to take a, a massive disaster for Belichick to be gone. Four wins, five wins this year. I tweeted this out at Nick C Radio. If you want to follow me at Nick C Radio, all of you follow Greg already. Um, but if you know. If this team wins, let's say, seven games and Belichick, something doesn't happen. Somebody needs to take the keys away from Robert. And, and I love RKK. Dude's legitimately one of the best owners in all of sports for the past few decades. But at that point, it would tell me that, that he is unwilling to put the bullet in the head of Bill Belichick, figuratively speaking. And my issue with that is, look, this season, to me, Greg, is the ultimate Bill Belichick versus everybody else. We've said that before, but that was when Tom Brady was in town, right? Certain things he'd do, well, this is Belichick versus everybody else. And this is year four post-Brady. You have been an average at-best football team. That's what you've been. That's what your record has been. That's the way you've coached. That's the way you've played. You've been average. This year is Bill Belichick walking into the room, dropping his stuff on the table and saying, I know more than everybody else. This is the ultimate litmus test in year four of roster building. And he either has done it right or he hasn't done it right. And if he gets it right, trust me when I tell you, because Greg and I have done this before, we will be the first in line that say, congratulations to Belichick. He proved us wrong. He proved everybody wrong. This is the way that you can win football. You can put money in special teams when nobody cares about special teams. You can spread the wealth around offensively and not get a true stud on that side of the ball and still be able to do well enough because of scheme and coaching. The offensive line wasn't great, but again, coaching a few guys in the interior really helped out. They drafted Cole Strange. They bucked the system by doing that in the first round last year, and it all worked out for them. If that happens, then congratulations. I'll be happy. Greg, I think, will be happy, even though he's the wet blanket, because we'll be covering a football team that's good and fun and winning. That's what we all want. And there's no doubt to me, don't get it twisted, this defense, as queasy and questionable as I see this offense, is as excited I am as the, about this defense. I think this defense has upper echelon ability here. I think this defense, if they play to the tippity top of their potential, they could end up being a top two or three defense in the NFL. Here's the thing, though. Everybody will say, well, that's how they'll win. And by the way this roster is constructed, as Greg just kind of pointed out to several different things, the making of this roster, the building up to this point, 
it's rather obvious that that's what Belichick believes. Belichick believes that if we spread the wealth offensively, we score just enough. If we score 24 points a week or so, and we have our defense, which is just unpenetrable, if that's what we, that's how we're going to win. We're going to win with some good run game. We're going to, we're going to have Mac in the system. We're going to have guys who know this, all that stuff. And people will look at the rest of the league and they'll say, well, San Francisco has done it with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy. And, and what I say to that is, but San Francisco doesn't do what Belichick is doing. San Francisco pours a lot, a lot into the defense. John Lynch, former defensive guy, as we all know, right? He pours a lot into that side of the football. They've got a bunch of studs. Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, you know, you know the names. But what else does San Francisco do? They also have Ayuk. They also have Debo. They also have George Kittle. And when they feel like they don't and have Christian enough McCaffrey. Yeah, they went out and got Christian not, McCaffrey. When they don't when they feel like they don't have enough to that point, even with those guys, as Greg says, they go out and what I thought was an overpay when you look at price and running backs and all of that, they overpaid to bring McCaffrey in because they knew he was a stud when healthy and he could singularly impact the game, a la the names I mentioned earlier with young quarterbacks. And they said, yeah, we've got Jimmy Garoppolo who can't stay healthy. He's an average quarterback at best. And we got Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. We've got an unknown in Trey Lance at quarterback. We drafted him high, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's been useless to us. So what we're going to do is what I mentioned earlier. We're going to surround the quarterback who is average to maybe slightly above average, 13, 14, 15, ranked in the, in the league. But we're going to surround that guy with weapons. Belichick has not done that. Belichick has approached defense like the Niners approach defense with their decision-making. But he has not given him a, tap, a top three tight end like Kittle, a top three running back like McCaffrey, a top 10 wide receiver until last year in Debo. A lot of people think Ayu could be a top 10 to 15 guy this year. Oh, and by the way, he also gave him Trent Williams at left tackle, a top two or three left tackle in the game. That's the difference. So if you want to give me the 49ers comparison, it's not even close. Because what the Niners have done is they have surrounded their quarterback with really good players. And, and Greg, one last point before we get to uh, Athletic Greens and, and the BSJ member question of the day. One more pushback that I have, because you just mentioned this, about maybe taking the pro personnel decisions away from Bill. Somebody yesterday tweeted at me and said, well, if I don't know why people think that Belichick's going to be gone anytime soon because he's 19 wins away from Shula's record. And I said, well, are we just going to allow Belichick to mediocre his way to Don Shula's record? Is, is Robert Kraft okay saying, all right, he's 19 wins away, so uh, three more years of seven wins when Kraft is in his 80s? And here's the bigger issue. Belichick's not only the coach, Greg. He's also the guy that's shopping for the groceries, as his buddy Parcells once said. And it, it, if you are okay with sticking by and standing by Bill Belichick, the head coach, so he can accomplish this Shula record, you're most likely also standing by with him being the GM and making these decisions that he's made that has given us the past three years of average play and going off of if they're, if they're average again this year, 
You're going to give that guy two or three more years when you've got a decision to make on Mac Jones after this year, whether or not you're picking up his fifth-year option. You're going to put money on Bill Belichick to build the offense the right way surrounding a brand-new QB1. And by the way, for people who just want to get rid of Mac Jones, I've got news for you. It's very difficult to find a legitimate quarterback in the league. Very difficult. You can't just find guys that can lift everybody up those guys are top eight to ten quarterbacks. They don't become available, everybody. So you're either drafting somebody or you're bringing somebody in paying Kirk Cousins $40 million. It's not easy. So what evidence do you have aside from striking gold in the sixth round with Brady? What evidence do you have that Belichick is going to be capable of bringing that next QB in if it's not Mac? and surrounding him and complimenting him the right way. If you bring Belichick back, if you're Kraft, to accomplish this record, which would be Fugazi, because everybody would be like, oh, yeah, he limped to it. It's like when Strahan got his sack record because Brett Favre fell down. If you're going to do that, then you're also giving the keys to Belichick for the next five, six years of your organization because he's making those decisions. And I just I, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can sacrifice the team's long-term stability. So Bill Belichick could be thrown on a couple guys' shoulders and could, you know, do the the princess wave to the Gillette Stadium crowd because he broke Shula's record. I just don't don't think that's going to happen. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kraft's like, "I love you, Bill. I love you. We're going to put a statue of you and we're going to put a, you know, that big ridiculous they spent more money on the on the on the big screen than they've spent on their wide receivers right this offseason probably spent a lot of money on that on that acreage of video now all right tell the uh, fine people greg about athletic greens and we're right. back and we're back all right let's wrap this one up we've had a lot to say i've had a lot to say i've Going on a little bit. I, I apologize for those who just love hearing Greg Bedard's dulcet tones and his, his wonderful pipes. But I had a lot to get off my chest, and I'm unemployed right now, so I ran with the football today. All right, uh, before we bid you adieu, Greg, BSJ member question of the day. Well, I, I was looking through uh, the comments on my, um, my column, which, by the way, um, got read the hell out of um, – and, you know, I, I just, I just wanted to bring up, I just, there are people, there are people on my site on BSJ, our site that, um, man, they really don't like it when I'm critical of bill, like in, and like, I mean, do, and I just wanted to like dismiss. And I heard somebody call into Felger Maz the other day and say, yeah, all these guys have an ax to grind against bill. <laughs> like, so if somebody brought up that I hate bill because of, Christian Barmore stuff, which first of all, all I told you was, and, and I, I can't believe people like bring this up. What I told, first of all, he slipped in the draft. That is a fact. He slipped. He was a first round talent taken in the second round. I told you some of why. There were some that I couldn't tell you because the team that told me said, you can't reveal this because it would identify us to where we got it from. It's called protecting a source. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. I don't care what you say. You could say, oh, well, Greg doesn't have any information on that. You know, whatever. But, like, I don't hate Bill. 
I don't. I, I, I have a great deal of respect for Bill. He has a great deal of respect for me. He doesn't like me sometimes. I don't like him sometimes. This is what comes with covering an NFL team. Um, you know, what's, what's funny is I just got off the phone earlier today with um, Zach Thomas, soon to be Pro Football Hall of Famer Zach Thomas. I had sent him um, an email um, congratulating him on making the, the Hall of Fame, and, and I sort of talked about how, um, you know, I know sometimes we didn't see eye to eye, but there was always respect there. Um, you know, basically, like, this is back in the early 2000s. I was a little ahead of my time, but long story short, um, I would see Zach in post-game press conferences, and um, he looked like he was out of it. Um, concussions were an issue for him. You know, the way he played as an undersized middle linebacker and tackling with his head. And, you know, you could tell this is before CTE. This is before concussion protocols and stuff like that. And there would be sometimes after games where Zach's talking to us and I'm like, dude, this guy makes no sense. And I would, you know, he and I were, I would ask him about concussions and he would get mad at me because he never wanted to come off the field. But, um, you know, so I'm just telling you the story as an example. And Zach, you know, said to me today on the phone, he's like, he's like, I never took that stuff personally. He's like, I know you were just looking out for me and I appreciate that. And, and, you know, you, you were right to do that and thank you. And so I, I'm, I'm just saying this in terms of like, there's always give and take, like, I, I, I don't know how these people at home sit there and say, like, there's always an adversarial relationship. That's not the way it works. You know, so it's hot and cold. But, but the bottom line is, is like, you know, and some of the people that complain about me, like they think I take shots at Belichick. I'm just stating facts. Like if Bill Belichick like was lights out, I mean, you know, look, you could say 25 and 26, you know, go back to the 2019 season when they were eight. No. And the finish to that season, you can add to, to when they were like the weakest eight, no team ever, including Tom Brady knew it. Tom knew Tom Brady knew that team was an eight. No. And was the quote unquote the most miserable eight no quarterback in the game, and you know it's just since the middle of 2019 this Patriots team has been going downward. That's just a fact. And Bill is in charge of all things football, strategies, coaches' decisions, draft, free agency, all this stuff. It's his fault. I mean, it's it, he's on the line. Whatever happens, good or bad, it's on him. For years, it was okay that we praised him and called him a genius. Now that it's gone in the other direction, it's not okay. It's taking shots to point out factual stuff in terms of what he believes and how he constructs his team. Like, I, I just don't understand that, Nick. And, and I just, like, I, I just, I guess I just sort of wanted to talk it out a little bit. And just, like, I think that I've always been, and, and I've heard this from people. They, they said, like, you know, you've gotten really negative. You've gotten really... Have you looked at what has happened to the team? Like, they are a middling team at best since the middle of the 2019 season. Like, what do you want me to say about it? Like, you know, the, the, the decision with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge last year, people are just like, well, you know, that shouldn't get them fired. That was a mistake. You know, Andy Reid did the same thing. We pointed this out at the time. Andy Reid took his offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, and made him defensive coordinator. It was a complete and utter disaster to the point that Juan Castillo lost his job, didn't work in the league for years, and two years later, mostly because of that, Andy Reid was out in Philly, who was a really good coach, had a really good record, really successful, you know, not the Super Bowl titles, but you know, a bunch of, you know, NFC championship games. Like, you know, I just think that I'm calling it the way that I see it, like I've always done. And it's not my fault 
that the Patriots have been mediocre and they have Bill has given us reason to be critical of him and the team. I would love to tell you how much of a genius he is and how good the team is. But, you know, I can't do that when the offense is terrible, when the defense gets run off the field by its own home field, by Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, who don't win another game the whole year, that they can't stop any offenses with good quarterbacks. You know, I, I just think that I'm telling it the way that it is. I'm sorry that it's been, it feels negative. Blame your football coach. He's in charge of everything. This episode of the Gerber Dog Patriots podcast with Dick Cattles brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston. And uh, I'll tell you, they'll, they'll, they'll really help you out. You uh, first MLB bet gets you 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to $200. Brian Bayo pitching today out here on the West Coast. Hopefully that means a win because that was a tough loss last night for the Sox to lose to the worst team in baseball when everybody else in your division lost at this time of year, right before the trade deadline. Um, so check out FanDuel, uh, and, and they will they will hook you up, no doubt. Absolutely love FanDuel. Well, lots to get off the chest. I, I think we uh, we have had some therapy today, some venting, some some objective look, uh, some, some objective viewpoints of this roster and football team, and uh, that's what we'll continue to do. Look, we're... We don't get, uh, I don't get paid to tell you what you want to hear. I get paid to tell you what I think. And hopefully, whether you agree or disagree with what I say, you do know that homework goes into it, that there's substance behind it, because ultimately you can walk away from a disagreement, I think, respecting the other person if you believe that person's intentions were true and there was work behind those intentions. There are people, unfortunately, in Greg and I's business that don't do the homework that don't have as much substance behind what they say. And they say things because that's just how their nature is. They're skeptical. They're pessimistic. And yeah, some of those people also know that what they're doing is working. And a lot of people are listening or watching them. And that's the world we live in. But Greg and I, we, you know, for me, myself, I just, I, I don't have any kind of vendetta or any kind of, uh, you know, bias towards anybody. I, I want this team to win. It's more fun to cover the team when they're winning, not going through, oh, you know, they had 12 guys on the field again, and they forgot to do this and do that. That's not fun. So uh, anyway, I think most of the people listen to this podcast, they know that. Whether you hate listen or, or love listen, you guys know that. We'll be back. Uh, we'll see if Leonard Fournette is a Patriot. What else happens here? we got training camp starting next week. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll start to actually see these, these guys on the field again, which will be nice. But until then, be safe, be healthy, uh, be well, and we'll talk to you next time. Greg Bedard, Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles.